Welcome back to the Health and Wealth Podcast with your host, Dr. Vincent Buscemi, the best podcast on all things health, wellness, self-improvement, anything you want to improve your life, this is where you come. I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Stephen Hussey. If you're looking at the screen now, he's this handsome chiropractor right here on the screen. He runs a website called Resource Your Health. He's also a practicing chiropractor in North Carolina or Virginia. I forgot which one we talk about it in the podcast. He is 36 years old and at the age of 34, doctor had a heart attack. He was talking about heart health and he had a heart attack, but he explains in this podcast, it actually motivated him and gave him more knowledge to what causes heart disease the true cause of heart attacks, the true cause of atherosclerosis. This is an amazing podcast. Even if you're young, you should still be worried about your heart because everything that Stephen talks about in this podcast not only makes your heart healthy, but it makes your whole body healthy and everything about you more healthy. So Stephen, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Guys, you're going to love it. I'll talk to you guys soon. Um, the first question I always ask is, what's the origin story? Why is a chiropractor... Are you more worried about the heart than someone's spine? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I treat the spine as well. Um, in clinic, I'm very neuromusculoskeletal, um, and we're actually starting to do decompression. But personal, like side business-wise, everything else I do, yeah, I'm very interested in the heart. Um, and it's because of my own personal health story. Um, I had a lot of inflammatory conditions as a child, um, everything from, I used to break out in chronic hives all over, just huge hives all over my body. I had irritable bowel syndrome, I had uh, allergies, asthma, um, all kinds of inflammatory type things. Um, and ultimately ended up with type 1 diabetes, uh, which the theory is my body attacked itself and it's autoimmune in nature. I don't necessarily think that I buy that, but um, you know, for whatever reason, I don't make insulin anymore. And so um, that, as I learned throughout the years, heavily predisposed me to heart disease. Um, you know, all the endocrinologists I saw as a kid definitely hammered that in you know you're you have risk of vascular disease that'll predispose you to blindness and kidney dysfunction and losing your feet and whatever um and and heart disease in general like heart attacks um and so you know i just when i came of age and was able to think for myself and in college i started to you know figure out that the way i lived my life had a direct impact on my ability to manage these inflammatory things that i had and they're all gone except for type 1 diabetes, which is kind of this collateral damage that happened because of it. Um, but I just found it interesting that nobody, no doctor ever told me, hey, you could change this and that and you wouldn't have to take as much insulin or you won't have these inflammatory conditions. And so, um, so yeah, it just kind of spurned my, my passion for investigating health um, regardless of what it was. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't like have this dream to be a chiropractor one day or anything. I, it was, you know, I, I planned to be an endocrinologist because I had a really good relationship with my pediatric endocrinologist, even though I realized now what he was telling me was completely wrong. Uh, in most cases, he was a very good physician and that he could relate to me very well and he was a good person. Um, and so I, it kind of inspired me to be some sort of physician. But when I got to figure out that what I'd been told by all these medical doctors was wrong or not the whole story and that there, was, there wasn't this focus on health, which I started learning in college, I was like, well, maybe I don't want to be a medical doctor. Um, and then, to be honest, uh, the girl I was dating at the time got into naturopathic school in Oregon, and I wanted to stay with her. So I was like, hey, I'm going to apply to schools in Oregon. And there was a chiropractic school, and my parents had taken me to chiropractors as a kid. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, it, and I looked up a little bit of the, the philosophy. I was like, yeah, that sounds more like what I'd like to do. You know, it sounds um, up my alley. And I had no idea there was, you know, this divide in chiropractic versus, you know, like, evidence base for philosophical base and all this stuff. I had no idea. Still don't really care that there is. I just want people to be healthy. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I got into school there and I went to chiropractic school and then we, we broke up, me and that girl, pretty soon after that. So it didn't really <laughs> matter, but it turned out to be a good move going to chiropractic school anyways. Um, but uh, so, yeah, but it didn't really give me the answers I wanted. You know, I, I thought I'd learn everything about health, getting this medical education. Um, I even after that I even went and got a master's in human nutrition and functional medicine and you know formal education can only get you so far I learned um, you know through through all that time and, and thousands of dollars you learn all that 
and you realize that it's still not you know the full story when it comes to health and and I've just since been since I've been pro, um, heavily disposed to heart disease I've always paid attention to that and always just wanted to read everything I could about it no matter how obscure or crazy it sounded I just wanted to read it I had no filter for what I what information I consumed um, sometimes I read it like this is absolutely crazy and then I read three other things and I'm like well maybe that wasn't so crazy you know so and it's just over the years I acquired all this information information about it and um, started sharing it uh, maybe five six years ago now and people seem to like it and so I kind of organized it and put it into a book and and uh, and yeah it's kind of my focus but you know and I talk a lot about the heart because it's it's you know what I'm predisposed to but really the stuff I'm talking about is just health in general the things you do to prevent heart disease are going to prevent all disease pretty much they're all the same underlying imbalances that create all different types of diseases so. and then you had a heart attack yeah yeah so despite my best efforts um, you know I had a heart attack when I was 34 years old uh, I'm now 36 almost 37 so not too long ago um, and I talk about in the book why um, a little bit about why that happened and I gave a more detailed talk about that it's on my YouTube channel which is resource your health um, at Roanoke College I gave a talk of, of why I think that happened but in a nutshell um, it's it kind of obviously it was a huge setback it's something you don't want to happen and it was it was kind of demoralizing for me um, at the time I was I was very uh, I was very feeling very hypocritical you know um, but in the end of the day the experience I had in the hospital was abysmal as far as like what they told me to do after the fact very thankful that they they saved my life and that we have techniques that can do that in those situations that's that's the uh, amazingness of, of western medicine um and emergency medicine i should say um but um but yeah the care after the fact was pretty bad and what they told me to do was pretty bad based on what i know I was like you're telling me to do the things that will create heart disease um in many cases and so I very quickly realized that even though I was feeling so demoralized and I was like, I still have to put this information out there because it's not about being right or wrong or whatever. It's about spreading information that may not be out there so that people can make informed decisions if they're in the situation that I was in. Um, but yeah, I, I, I found myself in a very um, stressed out uh, state. Um, it was the most stressful time in my life. And then on top of that, uh, I got very distressing news about a close family member um, a day and a half before I had the heart attack. So that was a big part of it. I'm heavily predisposed as a type 1 diabetic. And unwisely, I did a very intense workout that morning that I had the heart attack. And I probably shouldn't have done that based on the state I was in. I hadn't slept well in two nights based on this situation. And um, and I think that those you know stars aligned and, and, and happened. But the biggest takeaway is that that I want to drive home that I kind of wrote about in my book is that heart disease is not just about diet and exercise, which is what people talk about all the time. Like, oh, you have to do your cardio, which I don't necessarily recommend long and long endurance cardio, but also people just talk about diet because of the whole cholesterol theory and all this stuff. And they it just, it's so heavily focused that, that your diet causes heart disease and that's not what causes heart disease. And I can't emphasize that enough that your diet may play a role but it is going to be a very small percentage of why you end up with heart disease uh, in, in the long run. And so that's kind of my, my, one of my main goals. And then here I go, you know, proving my, my theory that, you know, wasn't my diet that caused this. It was the other, other things that were happening in my life at the time. Um, and there's plenty of evidence to support that those things um, are, can cause heart attacks and stuff. Um, it reminds me that there's a story about this physician um, and researcher in the 1800s named John Hunter and he was adamant about his theory that stress causes heart attacks. And he was in a very heated debate with someone uh, at the time about this topic. And he had a heart attack during this very heated debate when he was getting kind of worked up and died. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's kind of a similar thing. You know, I, it's, I'm here I am trying to show that heart disease and heart attacks are not all about diet and exercise. And there's way more to it we should be paying attention to. And I kind of almost <laughs> theory in that and that that happened to me so it's it's just a similar situation unfortunate yes um but what i've learned since then is even more than what i even learned researching and writing the book so um so so yeah so you're just proving your point more than so what actually causes heart disease because what i hear in mainstream medicine is ldl 
um, stress as well, but mainly it's saturated fats. But you're saying diet does not cause heart disease. Right, yeah, and it's not – well, I'll say that it's not the single player. It never is. There's there's no diet that's going to cause heart disease on its own, right? So your diet may be a very standard American inflammatory diet, and that, yes, very well may contribute to inflammation in the lining of the arteries that causes the arteries to try and heal themselves and, and form clotting tissue on the side of them, yes. Um, but I don't think that any even, – even the worst inflammatory diet is going to – I mean, I know people that have eaten standard American diet their whole life and lived to the 90, you know, like it's, it's, there's multiple factors. Um, and Western medicine knows that as well. But since they have a drug that can lower cholesterol, that's if every, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So they just focus on the cholesterol. Cholesterol happens to be in some of the foods we eat. So they focus on diet. And then there's this whole emphasis on, on diet for heart disease, you know, um, when in reality, I think it's a very small player but a player nonetheless. So what actually does cause heart disease? Well, it depends on what type of heart disease you're talking about because there's atherosclerosis, there's there's heart attacks, there's heart failure, there's arrhythmias. So it depends on what let's type of talk, heart disease you're talking about. Generally, people are talking about Yeah, let's talk atherosclerosis because like Peter Atia talks about the four henchmen that are going to kill you, cancer, yeah. atherosclerosis, dementia, and like uh, – insulin resistance but let's talk about that because you mentioned mm. another podcast yeah. that when plaques break off you don't think that's causing heart attacks either but i'd love to hear more about that no no there's there's a and it's not just me saying that it's i'm, I'm just going based off what i'm reading and researchers you know um and uh because i'm not a cardiologist i'm not a phd heart expert or anything like that i just read insistently about about the heart you know but there's this paper called the myth of the vulnerable plaque where they literally look at all the research out there on you know a soft plaque rupturing and causing a heart attack and they they basically in multiple places in the study and and citing multiple other studies show that the vast majority of the time that a soft plaque ruptures or breaks heart attacks do not happen um there's no blockage of blood flow whatsoever it basically it breaks and the body just heals it right there puts a cap on it and now there's atherosclerosis there. And then it, that can happen multiple times and it could build up on itself, you know, kind of like rings on a tree. Um, but it very rarely, if ever, causes a heart attack. So this whole theory of rup plaque rupturing and causing clot to form um, doesn't quite stack up according to the literature that we have at the moment. Um, and so, so, you know, there are situations, like for me, uh, what happened is that a clot can spontaneously form in, in an artery um, that can be large enough to block a whole artery, which is exactly what happened. I mean, there was no atherosclerosis anywhere when they went in to look. All they found was a big clot in the left anterior descending artery um, that completely blocked that artery for me. So so then, yeah, so the, the question of what does cause atherosclerosis, people are talking about it's cholesterol. But the thing is, when you analyze cholesterol, um, like when you actually take the tissue out and you analyze it, or, or not cholesterol, when you analyze um, uh, atherosclerosis, uh, you take the tissue out and you analyze it, there's no cholesterol there. Um, there is, I mean, there's some cholesterol, but it's the vast majority of it, like 85, 90% of it is clotting tissue. Um, so that would suggest that the the plaque on the lining of the arteries is, is formed when the lining of the artery feels that it needs to clot for some reason. Uh, and that reason to me is that there's inflammation and oxidative stress and damage to the lining of the artery. Just like if I cut my skin, there's damage to my skin. And what happens? A clot forms to stop the bleeding, right? So lots of people don't know that the arteries actually have a blood supply to them. They have arteries that supply the arteries. Um, and so if that artery on the inside gets damaged and it breaks through the wall, then it can start bleeding, right? And so if that happens or if there's a threat of it bleeding, then clotting tissue forms. Uh, and that's the body's repair mechanism, so to speak, or, or at least emergency repair mechanism. Because in reality, normal wear and tear is supposed to happen in the arteries. I mean, there's blood flowing through it. There's all kinds of things that happen, um, you know, just like pipes erode over time. You know, damage happens. It's normal wear and tear. But the body is supposed to repair it and be able to repair it. Um, and so that relies on, um, you know, less damage happening then we can repair right because if more damage is happening than we can repair then that's a problem um but also 
um, insulin signaling is important because insulin is what signals for growth and repair. And so if we are insulin resistant, then that repair can't get signaled as well, which is why diabetics and people with insulin resistance are much more likely to have atherosclerosis um, because their repair mechanisms are broken down. So that normal wear and tear doesn't get repaired and we can get these higher levels of atherosclerosis. But the main things that can trigger inflammation and oxidative stress and damage the artery and then therefore induce clotting so the body has to do if, if it's over or it's too damaged are poor flow of blood which people don't talk about a lot um, inadequate flow or turbulent flow or stagnant blood is a recipe for clotting if things are sitting still too long they're going to coagulate um, and so that's just you know how things are i mean if you look at a puddle which is stagnant water it's going to get dirty if it doesn't evaporate it's going to get dirty it's going to accumulate debris that kind of stuff it's just it doesn't it's not nice looking right whereas a flowing river it's always pushing things through it looks beautiful you know and um, that's just how it works so um, ensuring adequate flow and then also decreasing the things that create inflammation and oxidative stress which could be contributed to by a poor diet um, but it could also be contributed to by heavy metals and um, psychological stress is a huge one um, or endotoxemia uh, or just different things like that. There's so many things that can create an inflammatory state um, that damage the lining of the artery. And so preventing atherosclerosis is about preventing those things. Now, if the only, the only time I, cause there's no situation in my mind where LDL says, Oh, I'm going to go deposit myself in the lining of the artery. Cause that's just what I do. Right. There's just no situation when that happens unless other things happen first. Um, and even then, when we analyze atherosclerosis, it's not LDL or cholesterol, it's, it's fibrotic tissue. But if we do have this state of inflammation and oxidative stress, it's also, it's not only going to damage the lining of the artery, it's going to damage whatever else is in the blood too, right? Including LDL molecules, which is why we see a correlation between oxidized LDL or small dense particles uh, and, uh, or ApoB particles, which are more prevalent when there's insulin resistance. Um, we're getting this damaged inflamed state and it's also damaging those particles. And so those things are indicative of maybe you'll have more atherosclerosis, not because those things are causing it, but because there's something else causing all this inflammation in general. And that's an indication that's happening. It does. does. Sense? So I want to back up a little bit. You talked about the flow, stagnant, turbulent. Yeah. What are we doing that's messing up our blood flow? Yeah. Well, uh, the main thing is we're divorced from okay. nature. Uh, that's that's the one liner right there. Um, we are literally, um, you know, we have artificial light. Uh, we're not in contact with the earth. Um, we're not in sync with the cycles of the sun. Um, all those things, which people may think I'm sounding crazy at this point, but like all those things are environmental stimuli that humans had for literally millions of years before we had civilization and indoor living, right? And if you look at what actually creates blood flow? It is. It's. Um, it's not the heart. Uh, I mean, the heart does do a little bit of pumping, but it doesn't. It's not responsible. For, it's not the main mover of blood or fluid in the body. Um, it actually happens when structured water um, or, or water that is energized structures itself onto the lining of the artery, um, and and the way that it does that, it actually creates a battery. So it creates a charge separation where there's positive and negative. Uh, and that's a battery, right? Um, and that battery creates work, which means in this case, it creates flow. And this is coming out of the lab of Dr. Joe Pollock, um, but others before him, like Gilbert Lang and Albert and Georgie and, and Mei Wan Ho, lots of different water researchers out there. Um, but um, so that's what is creating blood flow. And they've shown that if you put radiant energy into a system like that, it will the, the water or fluid will continue to flow uh, indefinitely as long as there's a hydrophilic surface, water, and energy. And so the source of that energy is nature. It's sunlight. It's direct contact with the earth. Um, it's it's balancing your circadian rhythm. And we are very divorced from that, um, largely as a society, especially living in a city. Um, so so that's what's creating stagnant flow. Um, and uh, and But also this inflammation and just it kind of creates you know, kind of more sludginess, you know, or, or mineral deficiencies, like magnesium deficiency is definitely or, um, associated with more viscous blood, you know, um, just blood that's more likely to 
stagnant and coagulate. So um, different things like well, let's that. Let's back this up a second. What is structured water? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's water. Uh, it's normal water, right? Um, but it's it, when water... Water has unique properties as a liquid, uh, and when water holds energy, or has the ability to hold energy, and when it does, um, when it gets next to a hydrophilic surface, it, it structures itself. So what that means is it kind of rearranges its molecules, and it's not necessarily H2O anymore, it's H2O3, I think, or H, well, I can't remember. Uh, it's a different configuration of okay. molecules. Um, and and so this is actually more in a structured state. So it's, it's more, they call it bound water, or exclusion zone water, um, or fourth phase water, because it's not necessarily a solid or a liquid, it's more of a gel. Okay. Um, and this gel-like state, you could think like jello. Um, it's, um, it's, it's what we call structured water, right? So, but the ingredients for it are energy, a hydrophilic surface that it can structure itself on, and then water in general. So um, yeah, that's, that's, so this is, if, if people want, uh, I mean, the, the most proof I can give you besides showing you the research on it on a podcast is if I, most of the water in my body is structured because, you know, we all hear that we're 70, 80, sometimes even 90% water. People say that all the time, which is true. Um, however, I don't slosh around like a waterbed. You know, I don't, you know, if I move over here real quick, I don't hear water moving. It's because the water in my body, most of it uh, in our in the cells and things like that is in a gel state. And so if you take tissues of my forearm, I do this, that's a gel, right? That's not liquid. Um, that, that behaves like jello. I can push it and it deforms, but then it come, bounces back because um, most of the water in my body is in a gel state. And so um, in the liquid places, like in the cerebral spinal fluid and the lymphatic fluid and the uh, blood, because uh, like the blood is about half water, um, then that water can structure itself onto those linings uh, of uh, those tubes and then that creates an energy situation that creates a battery that that moves fluid because the lymphatic doesn't have a heart the cerebral spinal fluid doesn't have a heart but that fluid moves um so this is the main way that it does so the goal isn't to like go out and buy structured water from like whole foods the goal is to structure the water within you through sinking back up with the natural rhythms of earth yeah pretty much i mean that's, that's what I tell people because you can go buy very expensive energized water or you could focus on the fact that there's water in you already and you could focus on putting your body in an environment that structures it. Now, you could also drink structured water or drink, it's not necessarily structured, it's energized water. I'm, I'm kind of a stickler for those terms. People say I drink structured water all the time, but it's energized because if it was structured, you'd be like eating jello, you know, um, so that it's more like energized water so that when it gets into your body next to biological surfaces, it can structure itself. And there is benefit to that. You know, if you're, I mean, water that's coming from a natural spring is very energized because the earth has energized it as it's coming out of that spring. Or you put water in sunlight, it will energize it so that it can structure itself. So minerals are very important. Your water needs to have minerals because that's what, one of the things that allows it to become energized and to hold that energy. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely worth doing to energize the water you're drinking. But if you can't, because for whatever reason, there's water in you already, put your body in an environment that energizes it. So it sounds like this is leading into quantum. Is it quantum biology? Is that what, okay. Yeah. Because you mentioned on another podcast, and you just kind of alluded to this now, that the heart is not a pump. Mm -hmm. What is right. the heart? Yeah. So, yeah, when you look at, and there's, there's research going back, you know, centuries uh, from the 1800s that people just doubted that the, the heart would, could move blood like like we think it does. Um, and uh, like the first the people who first studied, you know, the cardiovascular system um, were just like, I don't think that this is how it works or whatever. Um, but for some reason, this theory came out and it stuck that the heart's moving the blood. I mean, if you just look at it from a perspective, you're like, oh, this thing's pumping, right? Or it's contracting. I don't like the word pumping, but it's contracting. Um, and the blood's moving. Okay, yeah, that's probably what's going on, right? Um, but in reality, the heart that's our size is there's no way that it could create enough force to pump, quote unquote, the blood throughout the entire body. Um, it's just not. It's not able to do that um, from a physics point of view. Um, and so when we when we talk about these mechanisms in blood, uh, fourth phase water and lining the arteries, and that creating blood flow, and they've shown this. They've shown when you anesthetize a dog, 
that the blood continues to move for two hours. Um, and I bet you in those experiments, if they put radiant energy on the dog, that the blood will continue to move. Um, they've shown more recently in 2020, a study came out where in, uh, in chicken embryos, when they euthanized the chicken, stopped the heart, the blood continues to flow um, in the tubes. So this is, this is happening. Um, and so we don't necessarily need the heart to be this pump, right? So then why is it there? That's the question. Um, and there's two reasons there, in my opinion. One is that when you look at the, the heart muscles, they're actually oriented in a um, spiral-like nature um, so that when there is contraction of the heart, it actually um, kind of vortexes or spirals the blood. Um, because one way that we can energize water is by vortexing it or spiraling it in the presence of oxygen. And there's always oxygen present in the blood. Um, even if it's venous blood, there's still a um, pretty good amount of oxygen there. Um, and so that's the heart is kind of this vortex uh, that's structuring water or is energizing water as it moves through it so that it can structure itself once it gets back out into the periphery and create these self-flow mechanisms um, of, of structured water. So in a way, I guess you could say the heart is responsible for moving the blood and just not the way we thought. Um, and the heart does do some pumping, but it's it's no more than enough to just move the blood through the, the chambers of the heart. Um, and then the second reason the heart is there is there's a lot of um, research that shows that, that in athletes, um, like endurance athletes who get like um, um, uh, an enlarged heart, like the muscle gets bigger and stronger, um, and they're thinking, oh, because it's pumping more, more quickly and more rapidly, and that's not what's going on. There's lots of studies that I talk about in my book that show that it's because the heart becomes more efficient at stopping the flow of blood. So the, the muscle gets bigger because it needs like a bigger catcher's mitt, you know, to, to, to stop the flow of blood. Um, and the reason that it needs to do that is because if I was to go for a run or exercise in any capacity, um, my tissues would demand more blood and nutrients and oxygen. And so all the blood, if I didn't have a heart there, all the blood would rush over to the arterial side trying to deliver these nutrients, right? Um, and if that happened, um, you know, the, the arteries would, would dilate and it would take on all this blood and the venous side would be left with almost nothing. It would collapse. And so that would be death, you know, if the venous side collapsed. And so the heart is there to kind of maintain the pressure between the two systems. So it's in times of exertion, the heart is actually stopping the flow of blood or slowing it so that it can, it can vortex it and, and so it energize it. And, um, also so that it can maintain the pressure between the two systems. Um, and that's, it's very evident in the research that's that's what's that's going on um in time of position so that's those are the main reasons the heart it seems there. like the heart's more like a brain in that sense where it's almost like a moderator because mm -hmm. the brain needs to regulate two different things and the heart's regulating the venous and arterial side as well i i the more and more i i learn about the heart the more i think that it is running the show um so the heart has the highest electromagnetic field of any um, organ in the body. It's 5,000 times stronger than the brains, but you'd think the brain, this very electrical organ, would have the highest electromagnetic field, but the heart does, and it's the only organ that, through that electromagnetic field, can can affect every cell in the body, uh, can reach every cell in the body. Um, and so this is obviously, like, people may think this sounds crazy right now, but like your cell phone literally has an electromagnetic field, and it's putting out sensors, and it's getting things from super far away, right? It's getting satellite, you know, information through the air. And so the heart is, is has an electromagnetic field, as do most organs in the body. Um, and that's because of the mitochondria, the, mag the mitochondria let off a magnetic field, and the heart has the highest mitochondria uh, of any tissue in the body. It's like 5,000 mitochondria per cell, uh, which the brain's pretty big too, but that's, that's the largest from what I understand. Um, eyes pretty high too but um but um but yeah so this this field you know literally um uh, can can affect everything in the body and so there's this concept of called coherence uh, where which means that all the cells in your body are communicating and on the same page um, and the only organ um that can really create that coherence is the heart because it can affect every cell in the body and you'll never believe the way that we measure coherence in the body, heart rate variability, is is the best measure of, of coherence and and autonomic nervous system balance, but also um, effective communication um, in the body. And so it's no mistake that we're measuring that through through the heart. So what does that mean, coherence, where all the cells are on the same page working together? Yeah. So think about it like 
um, think about like a, a community of humans, right? Uh, that it's small enough that it's like humans are evolved to you know be in like groups of like 100, 150 people, and if everybody is doing what's best for the community as far as watching out for each other, uh, producing food and sharing food, um, passing on wisdom, all those different types of things, and nobody's selfish and doing what's best for them, then the group as a whole is going to survive much better, right? So that's what I mean by coherence. Every cell in the body is on the same page, doing what's best for the organism as a whole. Um, and so that that uh, coherence is dependent on proper communication, right? Because if because if a cell can't communicate, even to a cell that's right next to it, if the communications are broken down, even with a cell that's literally right there, that cell thinks that it's on its own. It starts to, it starts to behave in a way that is best for it and not the organism as a whole. So you can think cancer cell. That's what I was um, thinking exactly. Like the opposite of coherence is yeah. like cancer cell unlimited growth. Right, yeah. It's doing what's best for it. Um, and also it has no concept of the effect of it's having and anything around it because it doesn't have that communication. Right. So that communication is driven by lots of different things. Um, it could be, you know, um, it could be um, uh, like the flow of electrons. It could be the flow of fluid. It could be the um, resonance or you know, things that certain things are resonating in that. And that, that affects um, other things that are on the same resonance level, kind of like two radios, you know, tuned to the same frequency. Um, it's resonating with the same frequency. Um, lots of different, you know, forms of communication. And so that communication is dependent on healthy, intact, functioning cells, which means we need healthy, energized water, and we need healthy mitochondria. Those are the main players in what, and we need a healthy collagen network um, connecting everything together. So those are the healthy, the, the main players in creating this healthy communication. Um, and then heart rate variability is how we measure that coherence, because if there's incoherence, um, that's going to show, it's kind of like, um, if you ever woken up, um, and you know, kind of abruptly and you forgot where you were for a second and you're just kind of like, oh, I don't know where I am, what day it is, whatever. And it's stressful, right? You're just kind of freaking out for a second. And then it takes a few seconds and you're like, oh yeah, it's, it's Thursday and it's, and it's, you know, midnight or whatever. Um, and, and, and you kind of get your bearings and your body's like, oh, and it calms down. Right. So you can think about if a cell, um, or somewhere in the body is acting like that. Um, and it, it's poor communication. You're not, you don't know where you are, what time it is, um, that kind of stuff, which the cell doesn't know as this biological clock is off. Um, that's creating this stress signal and that stress signal is conveyed to the body and that's creating this incoherence, which affects heart rate variability. Um, because, because heart rate variability is, is the measure of our stress response. Um, and so, you know, you can take it down to that cellular level, what's happening and explain it to, to what's going on you know, coherence wise and, and communication wise to the, the whole body. And then you can even take it further than that as far as like human populations um, and and the coherence between them and, and how we're also separate and we have different goals and how that, what that's doing in society. But but uh, yeah, that's more philosophical. I love that part because there's how many rogue individuals are like cancer cells of society. Yeah. So what are yeah. we doing that's creating incoherence? Is it the same thing we're doing that's creating the unstructured water in our lumen of our arteries? Uh, to a large extent, yeah. We're so out of contact with the earth. And the earth is what's setting this tone, this this daily cycle. You know, this is circadian rhythm. Um, and like I said, if we're, if we're not getting – if our body's not getting signals as to what time it is, what season it is, where we are on the earth, that kind of stuff, then it's it's stressed. You know, it doesn't know what to do and when to do it. Um, so that can cause all kind of hormone dysregulation, um, all kinds of different pathologies because your body's not getting the right signals. Um, it's just like any – just like anything. You know, like if you're not – if you don't get the right signal in your job, you don't get the right signals to do things at the right time. You don't know what you're doing and you're bad at your job. Um, so it's the same kind of thing. Um, but you know, the other things that can create issues with coherence is, is not just these very physical things like contact with the earth or sunlight or that kind of stuff, these very real things, but it could also be very emotional things. Um, so, you know, stored past stored traumas that have not been properly released from the body, um, or toxic relationships or, emotional states that make you feel like you're in unpredictable situations or out of control like a lot of these things 
can create this, like your emotions can definitely control your physiology depending on the state of your emotions, um, which, you know, we've, people like Bruce Lipton and, and Candace Pert have shown that beautifully uh, in their research and their books. Um, and so these types of things can create um, incoherence as well. Um, and it's, it's more of a, uh, it's a more of emotional blockage, right? Uh, something's interfering with that. And there's, and there's lots of evidence that emotions or certain traumas and things can get stored in tissues. And in, in my opinion, they're stored in tissues because of the imprint they have on water, which were again, largely water. Um, and there's, there's evidence for this too in, in different researchers um, who have shown that when you express different emotions to water, water changes. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very fascinating, interesting stuff and it may all sound crazy to people, but it's like, it's literally what we're made up of. If we don't pay attention to this stuff. Then we're just ignoring very important information on how to achieve health. Well, let's talk about the emotional imprinting. What does it feel like? Somebody has like an emotional imprint or trauma imprinted into their tissues. Let's, I don't even know where the arm. What are they experiencing? I, you may you may not even know. You may not even feel it right there. Um, you may not even know that there was some stored trauma. Um, you could just have some health symptom somewhere, but you may not even know there was a stored trauma from something. Um, it could be in the tissue that this trauma is stored in. It could be somewhere else. Um, but there are people that are kind of help walk you. They, they call. Um, I mean, in my experience, and there's probably more people that can do this too, but. Um, people who are trained in somatic experiencing can help identify where their stored traumas are, but what um, somatic? But it could be directly. Um, it's just a type of therapy um, developed by a guy named Peter Levine, um, who's a um, psychiatrist, um, and he um, he just developed a way of identifying where what the trauma was because people sometimes don't even know that it was it was a trauma to them. Um, but also where it's stored and then allowing your body to process that. So if you have a trauma, your body should should process that trauma. And we, lots of times we think of it as, as going into shock, you know, and so you start shaking, it's your body processing the trauma. And lots of times we try and suppress that response. Oh, they're going into shock, we gotta do something, you know, we gotta stop it from happening. When in reality, what he's showing, Dr. Levine, is that he's showing that that's the body um, processing that trauma. And if it's not allowed to do that, it can get stored. Um, it's not moving out of the body, right? So lots of times with somatic experiencing, they're, they're identifying what the trauma was, where it's stored, and then they, they take you through triggers, you know, like what you're thinking in your brain that, that um, allow the trauma to start to get mobilized and released, and, and people start making movements and stuff, you know, like they'll, um, like their body will start moving. They're like, I just wanna move my arm. You know, it's like, yep, that's your body saying that needs to be moved, that needs to be processed out. Um, they can go into that shock response. They have that, that release. Um, but it's a very real thing, and and the reason, like, to me, the reason that it's happening is because water has this these very unique properties, and that it can um, it can imprint and store um, information pretty much, um, and uh, and they, they show this. You know, people uh, may be familiar with um, Veda Austin, and she has shown that you know you express different ideas or images or objects to water and then you freeze them and the ice crystals look like that object look like that emotion they look like it's it's really fascinating um and when you see it like that i don't know exactly what that means but there's something there right something is happening that we don't necessarily understand and don't have to understand um all we have to understand is that emotions are a huge part um of of health and proper dealing with emotions proper um, um proper perspective on emotions is, is very important um, and it can play a huge role in um, incoherence creating incoherence which can affect the body as a whole um, but especially this organ that we associate so heavily with our emotional state which is our heart um, there's a reason that we say things like I love you with all my heart or you gave it all your heart or your heart's not in it um, because it is definitely the organ that senses our emotional state and conveys it to the brain so that the body has the appropriate response um, so the, the heart is, that's the other reason the heart's there. It's a sensory organ. Um, what yeah. does it mean to have an unprocessed emotion? So what happens that like this bad emotion is still floating around? What do you have to do to it to get rid of it? Um, so that's something that's probably more of a question for someone who's trained in some sure. experiencing. Um, I, I, 
am familiar with the therapy. Uh, I've done it myself and I talked to a lot of people who have done it. Um, but as far as like what the protocol is to actually mobilize or get, it's, it's, it's triggering the body to mobilize it. You know, they're not, the practitioners are not really doing anything. It's probably, it's getting that person into a space where they're putting attention on that stored trauma that may not even know is there so that, that they can, the body can mobilize it. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, or it's similar to storing a toxin. You know, toxins can get stored in fat cells uh, in different places in the body, and the body just leaves them there, right? And we have to do something to encourage the body to mobilize those toxins so that we can eliminate them. Uh, it's the same kind of, I guess, thinking, you know, um, except this is with a trauma, which you could consider a toxin, right? Uh, a toxic experience or something. Um, it's, it's just taking the body through or putting the body in a safe place so that it can feel safe enough to mobilize those things. Uh, and I think that that's a, a very key word, safe, uh, because um, if you look at the work of Stephen Porges, uh, who's a PhD, he, um, he's, he's you know figured out that if the body doesn't feel safe, it's not gonna do pretty much anything. And if you look at the majority of people walking around today, they're not getting cues that you're in a safe space, right? Whether that's from other people, but also from, again, being out of sync with the normal natural environment. We're always getting these stress signals where the body doesn't know where it is or what time it is or where it is or whatever, you know. Um, and so it, it's if we're not getting those signals of, of triggering safety to the body, it's never going to be able to process these things and, you know, clean house, so to speak. So it sounds like that it's, almost, it's a memory. And although you're not creating amnesia in these people, you're trying to get them to reframe their thoughts on the memory so they can almost think, I'm safe now, that happened two years ago, but it's no longer a threat. And when your mind makes that connection, you almost release the trauma. And this is just a pure guess. Yeah, and it, but, it, but the trauma is, it's not like you're releasing it like some kind of mental exercise. You're like literally releasing it from stored, somewhere stored in the okay. body. That's why it's called somatic, because somatic means body. Um, and so it, that, just like with the toxin, like I said, like it's literally somewhere. And once your body, once your mind becomes aware of it and pays attention to it, then it can get released. Um, but it's your body's kind of saw that thing as this threat. And instead of processing it during the, when it happened and releasing it, then it kind of just, because of whatever else was going on, whether your shock response was suppressed or whatever, it stored it somewhere. It's just like, ah, we'll put it over here because we got to keep going. We got to survive. Okay. Right. Yeah. Did your um, so it's, heart attack, and it's too personal, you don't have to answer it. Did your heart attack give you imprinted trauma? I don't think so. I, I don't know, but I don't think so I for two reasons. One, I don't know, but I never really felt um, like scared, like I was going to die. I was like, this really hurts. This is the worst thing I've had in my life. But I was conscious the entire time. I never passed out or anything. Um, and I was just like, okay, got to get to the hospital. All right, they're going to do their thing. I was answering all their questions at the hospital. Even though I was in this extreme pain, I was like, you know, wailing. Um, but like, I was just very focused. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that there was ever any trauma. The only, the only real thought um, I had about maybe I was going to die was, was, wasn't even about me dying. It was just like, well, if anything does happen, you know, my wife at the time, uh, we have life insurance, so she'll be able to pay off. You're so, you're so practical. Get, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, that's that's the thought that I had, you know. And um, and I was like, yeah, well, I'll get to the cath lab. They'll, they'll save me. Like, I was just – and, you know, that's just how I was thinking. So I never really thought that it was that traumatic. doesn't mean that it wasn't, though. Maybe it was. Um, and the other thing is, is that I don't – I don't have any sort of ill health since you know like i've completely recovered from the heart attack my heart is um is all the tissue has pretty much healed there's no signs of heart failure you know um the conducting signal is is fine even through the tissue that was damaged um and i don't really have any like new health issue like i feel like if there's some kind of stored trauma that was affecting my health i would notice it in some way um and i don't feel that i have that uh it, and I think actually I feel better than I may have before the heart attack at this point, you know, two and a half years since I think two and a half. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's what tells me. I don't think that anything got stored. Okay. So if we turn this a little more towards the proactive part. What can someone like me do to decrease the chances of 
the atherosclerosis other than getting connected with nature? What are like the practical? I see you online all the time. You're grounding, you're yeah. in cold water, but tell me the things I can do that are practical in nature. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, cold exposure is good, but um, yeah, putting your feet in contact with the earth as often as you can. It doesn't, it could be just five minutes. You got five minutes, go out and do it, right? Uh, same with sunlight. Getting sunlight at different times during the day on the skin, as much skin as possible, that's important. Um, and then the other thing is, because those are the things. Those are things that are going to protect you if there is inflammation, oxidative stress that could damage the artery. Those things that can help protect you from those things, even if they are present. Um, however, if we don't stop the inflammation, oxidative stress from happening, then we're always, you know, always getting these new stimuli. So, um, the things that significantly decrease the inflammation and oxidative stress are, you know, don't ingest toxins. Um, so when I'm, I'm talking about like food, you know, like eat whole food, eat real food. Um, that's not toxic, not processed, because that's where all the toxins come from. Um, and I consider vegetable oils to be a toxin. Um, and uh, so yeah, there's there's that as far as the diet aspect. That's what's really important about diet is it don't eat a diet that's that's inflaming your body. Um, manage your stress. Like if you, um, if especially stresses that make you feel like you're out of control, or you're in unpredictable situations. So like people don't know what that means it means like you know if there's someone that you can't control that's really stressing you out as much as you can try and try and change that relationship or if you you know uh, if at all possible or if there's a job that you just don't feel in any control of you know it's the, the maybe the work is unpredictable the pay is unpredictable you don't have job security like those types of things um have more impact uh, cause more health issues than other stresses like you could be a top-notch CEO have tons of you know um, uh, requirements for you you know and job responsibilities and things but if you're in control of that stress research shows that it doesn't have a negative effect on you which if you feel out of control and that's has the negative effect um, which you know people think about COVID and how out of control everything felt and imagine the impact it had on our health um, and then another one is um, toxin exposure, just you know, synthetic toxic toxins and chemicals and things that humans have invented. Everything from sunscreens to heavy metals and you know, cigarette smoke to all these different, all these crazy, crazy amounts of, of toxins that we're exposed to every day. Um, all the stuff in artificial fragrances and soaps and shampoos and all this, all these chemicals um, that that we have that we we put our bodies in contact with every day. Um, those things can be very inflammatory. Um, and there's lots of research on a lot of those things, plastics, um, that they, there's a direct correlation to how much exposure you have to them and levels of atherosclerosis. Um, and then another one that people don't talk about a lot is endotoxemia, which is, um, when there's, when there's bacteria, gram negative bacteria in the bloodstream and then the body attacks that gram negative bacteria and that releases endotoxins. These endotoxins are very inflammatory. And so the way we get that bacteria is usually, um, the two main ways are, uh, poor gut health, so we have leaky gut, that bacteria from the gut's leaking into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there, and then poor dental health. Um, so if, if um, you know, there's toxic root canals or pulled teeth that haven't been cleaned out very well, or there's gum disease, that's all a source of bacteria leaking directly into the bloodstream. Um, and then the body, again, attacks it, releases endotoxins. And there's definitely, there's a ton of research showing that endotoxemia is uh, correlated to to atherosclerosis but again it's just because it's creating this inflammatory state that damages the artery and then the body has to repair the artery some way and if it gets to be too much it deposits clotting tissue um so yeah it's just some of the things that um people could pay attention to to really um try and address to reduce the risk now like a blood panel crp is that measuring any endotoxemia because that's creating inflammation um not specifically. I mean, I guess you could get a blood test that would look for endotoxins, but um, it's not very common to do. Like a CRP is just measuring general inflammation. Mm -hmm. That could be from endotoxemia. It could be from something else. It could just be that you're stressed. It could be that your diet's very poor. So it could be a lot of different things. So you're public speaker, podcasting, very busy practice. You're a very busy guy. I imagine you have a lot of things in your life that are uncontrollable and causing stress. What are you doing on the day-to-day -day basis yourself to manage this stress? I wouldn't say that I don't have a lot of control over my my 
like I wouldn't say there's a lot of things that I I it's not like I'm a control freak or anything, but I, I wouldn't say that there's things that are making me feel like I'm out of control or or it's like a stress that is stressing you out and you have no ability to mitigate it, right? I don't have any, or I wouldn't say any, but I have very little things like that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I try and, you know, I guess one thing I can't control is that I live in a townhome and there's two people next to me. They both have Wi-Fi, right? I don't like that. Um, and I can't tell them to turn it off. If there was dirty electricity in the walls and I'd want to get rid of it, I can't do anything about it because we share walls. However, I can buy a canopy that I can sleep in that blocks all EMF, right? So at least when I'm sleeping, um, then I don't have that. So it's things like that, you know, small things like that, I guess. I guess people, some, some people consider that a big thing, you know, having that, that electromagnetic field. But, um, but yeah, as far as like a toxic relationship or a, something I can't control my job like I'm very much in control of how much I get out of my my work um, which is rewarding and, and fortunate for me I recognize that that's not the case for a lot of people but but knowing that information and trying to always work toward that um, is is uh, is something worth knowing you know so um, yeah I mean I control what I put in my mouth you know I we have more control than we think uh, and I think that's an important lesson too is that you know we the decisions we make are, are our decisions and, and we can make better ones you know we can always be striving towards something better um but it's it's to me the big ones are like like what happened during covid and people were just this fear that was created um intentionally or unintentionally i don't know i'm not going to speculate on that but it was a lot of fear that create that was created and it created a lot of incoherence among society if you ask me, um, there's a lot of differing opinions, a lot of people yelling at each other, um, a lot of people just reacting out of fear. And when you react out of fear, you shut down decision making. You you basically you um, give up that control. Uh, and, and when in reality, we we had control the whole time. We were just letting pieces of information, um, you know, influence that control. So um, I don't know how I got on that. No, I love it. Then I, I got to ask you the question. Uh, how do you create coherence in society? Hmm. Um, it's very hard to do with as many people as we have. Um, because, like I said, when you look at, you know, evolutionary biologists have, have determined that humans were evolved to live in groups of about 100 to 150. Um, and, you know, we could you know, we can have that many relationships and still know something personal about every single one of those people, right? When it gets to be more than that, it gets harder to do. And and it also, since since we're so well connected, it's because of those, that group of 150 wouldn't have been connected to the whole world. You know, so they wouldn't have had, they wouldn't have been concerned about the tribe 150 miles or even five miles away from them, you know, necessarily and what their concerns were. It would have been about, hey, we gotta keep ourselves, and that sounds kinda of like a selfish thing, but that's just how our mentality's been, you know? So now, we're faced with this, this, um, this extreme connectedness, even though we're very disconnected. Technology-wise, we're very connected, and it's almost like the, you know, our community, and the success of it is the, is the entire world, is the entire planet, and the health of the planet, because, the planet is going to be fine, whether humans survive or not. It's going to be fine. We're really concerned about things like environmental change and stuff because right now is the only type of environment we know we can survive in. Um, if we change that too much, maybe we survive, maybe we don't. Um, but if we change it, and and there's people that think that we are, um, it's how do we? It's like that. That's different for someone in Norway versus someone in Australia, and it's just. So it's just so it's going to be so hard to create coherence to get everybody on the same page because everybody's got different needs. I mean, try and connect that many people when evolutionarily we're only designed to be successful as tribes of 100, 150. That's a big task. And that's why I don't think it's ever going to happen. There's no political solution to, to creating coherence in the entire world unless we just unite everybody in the same, in the same uh, goal. You know, and that's the only way you can really do it. I mean, Alcoholics are only successful when they go to Alcoholics, alcoholics Anonymous because they all have the same goal. Everybody there has the same goal. 
and so like that's proven over and over again that that's how uh, or it's helped many alcoholics you know achieve a goal because they're all there doing the same thing um but it, you know you put an alcoholic in a bar even though how how good their mind is no one else in the bar has the same goal as them so it's just how do we create the same goal for all of the world i have so no idea so what's a good goal for eight billion people um help the person next to you yeah kindness yeah maybe maybe that's maybe that's how it starts you know because you know if you look at the person next to you they're gonna be next to someone else and they're gonna be next to something else and if it's that kind of it's kind of like that um it's kind of like those experiments they do where they put like the you know the palest white person over here and they put the darkest black person over here and they put like somebody who's a different shade like just a slightly different shade all the way up there and it's just like you realize that we're all the yeah. same you know and, and when you do it that gradually that that person next to this one doesn't look any different really but eventually we got to these people that look totally different or not totally different but different skin color at least um and you realize how how exactly similar we are and so you could do that on a global level as far as like the person next to me is part of my community the person next to them is part of the community and that goes all the way around the world so we're all part of the same community we're all after the same goal which i think is or at least i think should be just happiness and equality and and um you know thriving for everybody that's what we're all really after we just have different ways of getting there because of our social backgrounds or environmental backgrounds or whatever i i think we're all just trying to like feel good but a lot of this approach it the wrong way and like power yeah. over people manipulation people think that's the way to feel good but it's definitely the wrong way to do it well and it's not i mean that's definitely true and i don't even necessarily think that it's power over people it's just that people are saying you're the reason that i'm not happy mm -hmm. right because you're doing this i can't live the way i want to when in reality you can live whatever way you want to. In most countries, I guess you could. Uh, lots of countries, I guess you can't because of totalitarianism or whatever it is. Um, but and uh, and especially in you know, Westernized countries, um, you can live whatever way you want to, and there's no one really affecting your ability to do that. You can make those decisions, even if there's some law that prevents you from doing something that makes you really happy. It's your decision to be upset with that. You're holding on to that 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 law. I mean, that's the way it is. You can either accept it and make your life happy in in that situation or you can resist that um one of that i guess the one of the um most impactful things to me that i i tell myself all the time is don't resist the universe you know that's just creating hardship for me um things are going to be the way they are i can i can act on and change what i can change and and know what i can change and things that i can't i've got to find a way to be at peace with that um, and still live my life in a way that's going to make me happy despite of that thing that I don't like or whatever, because that's me controlling, you know, the thing that I can't control. Are you familiar with stoicism? I'm going to yeah. butcher this. Amor fatat, I can't say it, but in English, it's the lover of fate. Basically, what mm. you described right there, like be passionate about what's actually happening and then deal with it. That is like the crux, in my opinion, of happiness. Like, don't ask mm -hmm. for things that aren't happening. Just be thankful for what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and talk about, you know, relating it back to what we kind of started talking about. Talk, talk about a way to create incoherence is just totally resisting the way things are. Right? You're, you're totally out of sorts with, you're totally out of touch with your environment. Yeah. And then you're incoherent with the environment because you want what's not there. And that's probably creating incoherence. In you. That's like the basis of like all religion, like Buddhism, all philosophies, like non-attachment, Stoicism, Christianity. That's mm -hmm. awesome, man. So we're coming up in the hour mark. I could talk. We should have started with this. I could talk to you for the next 10 hours. But I always ask a couple of questions at the end. What is one takeaway you want the audience to have from this interview? Um, never, uh, never stop learning. Never stop questioning. You know, don't, uh, even like this, what we just talked about here, don't listen to me, you know, go, if I said, if I said something that, 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 uh, you, you liked, go read about it, go investigate it. If I said something you don't like, go read about it, go investigate it. You know, like don't, um, don't ever stop learning or questioning or, or discovering. Um, it, it's, it will reward you in ways that you can't even think about right now.
I totally second that. And then the second thing is, I want to put you in the best spotlight as possible. How can people reach out to you? How can they work with you? How can they find your work? Um, my website is resourceyourhealth.com. Um, and my books are on there. That's where I do my health coaching. Um, and uh, I'm on social media. It's uh, Dr. Stephen Hussey, uh, Dr. Stephen Hussey, uh, just Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, my book, my books um, are on Amazon. Uh, and the second book about the heart is, is also on like Barnes and Noble and, and the publisher website, which is Chelsea Green. So people can find that there. Um, but yeah, if people can reach out in, in multiple ways, um, find me in those spots, um, or they come hear me speak. I, I go and I speak, uh, um, where's your next location you're speaking at? The next one is Baltimore, um, for the antithetic conference, um, just South of Baltimore. And then after that, I think it's Norway. Wow. International speaker. And then, yeah. And then, uh. And then I'm doing a few of the small local events and then one for chiropractic conference here in Virginia and then um, and then Hawaii. I'm doing like a, um, a big chiropractic conference there. So You're killing it, man. I'm so glad I caught you now because in like three months you're going to be way too popular to come on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I like, I like talking to people about it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, we're going to cut this, man, but uh, hope you have a good weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Thank Thanks you. for having me.